I'm actually out of breath because I forgot my Bible, like, the other end of the property. So I was like, oh, no, I need that. Appreciate y'all bearing with us. Listen, we got a lot going on. We have a little bit shorter time to dive in, but, man, we've got a big topic. We're going to be talking about what is a man. So I'm very aware we have a lot of visitors. We have a lot of folks, like, stepping in, visiting because kiddos are getting baptized. They're dedicated. And uh, maybe you're just checking us out for the first time. So I want to just briefly tell you why we're even doing a a series like this um, and and the heart behind it. And we're going to jump right into the topic and try to move pretty quick and and, uh, and also know this, uh, that we will not cover every bit of manhood today. A specific purpose, specific goal to speak uh, to God's good design for, for gender and sexuality. And so really going to try to stay focused on what is that piece? How has God made us as uh, very good male and female, specifically today the male piece? And how does that way that he's designed us with distinction, equality, same value, male and female, but distinction. How does that, the way that he's made us as men, align with what he's called us to do as men? And so that's my purpose for today. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of like um, secondary and impl- like issues that are implicated as this discussion. We're not going to get into all those today. We can't get into all those today. But Chad and I are planning to do a podcast probably tomorrow or Tuesday. So we got some thoughts, but we would love to hear from you. If you've got questions along the lines of this series, particularly around manhood, send them. I got an email there for you, info at thejourneysi.org. You could send them there. They can be anonymous if you, I think I got it there, Jess. But you could, that can be anonymous if you want, if you don't want us to announce who asked the question. But if you want us to dive into something particular, let us know because we're not going to cover everything today. So that'll be a secondary um, sort of conversation. So we'll send that out this week. That's on our podcast called Fermented Faith. So, uh, but here's the heart behind the series titled, Very Good, God's Design for Our Gender and Sexuality. Uh, In a world that is just increasingly confused and conflicted around what is sexuality, what what is allowed, what is not, what is right, what is wrong, who can be this, who can be that, uh, we want to just simply say, hey, what does God say, right? In, In the midst of confusion and conflict, what does God say? And then, why is what God says, why is it good? And how do we bring ourselves underneath it in submission to it and live a life of flourishing and healing, regardless of what our issue, how our issue plays out, how our struggle plays out? Because here's the deal. We all struggle um, with sin, which is a misalignment of God's purposes, okay? So it's really clear to see in this issue of sexuality, okay, God said this. What if we want to live this way? What if we have these desires? What do we do? Am I free to do that? Am I not free to do that? And so people who struggle with those issues tend to get kind of put in their own category and dealt with in their own way. And that's not how the Bible treats it. Actually, it says we're all struggling with our issues of being, you know, misaligned with God's design. It's called sin. Okay? And so how do we um, step in and submit our, our lives under God's design for the good of our life, for the flourishing of the world? How do we remain faithful in that? In, an, in the midst of an increasingly confused and conflicted world? And how do we respond? How do we as Christians live faithful, but also how do we respond? How do we respond to those who are struggling with these issues? Because here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to contribute to harmful rhetoric. We don't want to con- contribute to just divisive rhetoric and, and conversations around polarized ideologies. No, we want to learn how would Jesus respond? How would Jesus engage 
in, in today's conversation and not in the big conversation about ideology as much as it is, how would he engage with people? How would he engage with those who are struggling with issues around their sexuality? So that's our heart and our hope with this series. And so today, um, we, we set that up a little bit last week. We were just talking about being made in the image of God. Today, we're going to look at what is man. Because if we're going to call people to be men and to be women the way that God designed, we need to have, okay, is there, is there a base for that? Is there, is there a starting point for that? Is there somewhere we can look back and go, this is what God is talking about? Because our world has all kinds of ideas about what it means to be a man, right? And we're, and we're not talking about the, you know, big muscles and jacked up trucks and, and beards and beer stuff. What, is it, what does it mean to be a man the way that God has called us to be a man? What does that boil down to? How do we come under that? And how does it lead us to flourishing? Okay, so that's our hope. Um, and, and here's the deal. The Bible has some commands in it. It says, Paul tells the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, hey, act like men. Act like men. So right, like, right there we see uh, that, just if you go back to the blank one and into that one, I think I set that up weird for you. Uh, that'll show it better. So, but right there we see that there's a call to act like men. We see it in the Old Testament a couple different times throughout the narrative of Samuel where men call each other to be men. We see one point whenever they're facing battle and they say, hey, let's go forth. Let, let's, let's be strong. Let's be courageous. Let's play the man. Or your translation might say, be courageous. Those, those are corresponding words in the, in the, in the Hebrew saying, let's, let's be men. Let's engage in this way uh, and let's, let's show ourselves as men. We see that David is telling his son Solomon as he's, as he's about to die and he's having a conversation with his son who's going to take his throne. He tells him, uh, I think in, in uh, 2 Samuel 10, he says, listen, be strong. Show yourself a man. Be of good courage. Let us be courageous for our people. Oh, this is, this is the one I quoted already. But David, Solomon, David tells Solomon, hey, be strong. Show yourself a man. So is there a basis for that calling to be men? Or is, is that just a cultural thing that, that we've moved beyond? Is that a dated cultural statement from this day and age that is no longer relevant to us because we've been enlightened and progressed into new areas of what it means to be a, a human? And, and I would say to you, no, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the design. Let's go back to Genesis 2. Let's go back to where man was created. And let's see, where, where did this come from? What was the creator's plan? Who made it? Who made man? What was his plan for man? And, and my, 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 my hope today is that you see that God was, was thoughtful. He was intentional. And um, he was purposeful in his design of the man. And it is for the good of his world that he made men the way that he made men. And he made them in a certain intentional way. And my hope is that you see today that anything that is harmful, anything that is a distortion in our world, it, it's, the problem isn't with God's design of men. The problem is with sin. And the Bible is really clear that, hey, Jesus has come to eradicate sin, not to eradicate his design of manhood. And so my hope is that we see some redemption come in today because I know we're all packing different stories, different experiences with people who have called themselves men. Maybe your, your father was supposed to be the image of God for you. Maybe that didn't go well. Maybe it was harmful, abusive, absent. Maybe you've had experience with a boyfriend or, or a husband or a spouse, like whatever that was, someone that forced 
themselves on you with strength that has distorted your view of what it means to be a man. Maybe you've just seen it abused in a public sphere in such a way that you, you're pretty convinced that, yeah, masculinity, it is toxic and we need to get rid of it. Maybe that's where you are. And my hope is today you will see the goodness of God's design and that we will all be called back to that and not renouncing masculinity at large, but rather renouncing the sin and the distortion that comes in a fallen world and that we'll look back to the perfect source of manhood who is Jesus, okay? So that's just a, that's a summary. We're gonna try to blow through some big ideas and then like I said, we'll talk more on podcasts this week and please send us your questions. So in Genesis chapter two, we see that as God is making the world, it's in the midst of this very physical, like, unpacking of God making the world. He's, he's talking about making everything in the world. Genesis 1, it unpacks God made uh, heaven and earth, like light first, then heaven and earth, and then all the trees. And then like he goes through and it's talking about the physical world. And then it leans in and talks about him making man. So ch- verse uh, 7 of chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then it's going to go on to talk about like... This garden, and, and God put, him in, put the man in the garden that he'd formed, and out of the ground, uh, everything began to spring up, and he talks about trees, and he talks about rivers. And then we get into verse 15. He says, and then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And that's where we're going to camp out today, is this idea that God made man to work it and to keep it. Uh, and we're going to boil that down and say God has made man to provide and to protect because those are implications of those words. And so, but what I want you to see right off the bat is that like this is this is a very earthy and physical passage. That this is God making the world, the tangible like fleshly world. He's talking about the ground, he's talking about trees, he's talking about rivers. And, and so this idea that what is true about us is actually our inner spiritual self and that our physical makeup is kind of secondary is wrong. It's actually rooted in something called Gnosticism. It's this distortion saying that what's really good and what God really came to redeem is our spirit. And, and the material world, that's kind of like, it's pretty tainted and it's wrong. And, and that's not how the Bible talks about our bodies at all. That's not how the Bible talks about our physicality at all. And so I would say to you, it does matter how we are made. It does matter what we are made of. And it does matter when you take a DNA sample of a human and it shows an XX chromosome or an XY chromosome and that that has penetrated every cell of that body and it manifests itself in masculine and feminine traits, that that matters. That that matters. And it's not something that that we should take lightly or disregard as as secondary and, and that God has a plan when he made them male and female. He said it's very good. So any problems we have are not a problem with the design. They're a distortion of the design brought in by sin. So our real need is to be brought back, which is what Jesus came to do. Amen? He came to bring restoration. He came to bring healing. He says, I came to, bring, to make all things new. So I just want us to keep that in mind as we look at this today. So we see um, that from, from Genesis 2 here that, that what I quoted from verse 7 of chapter 2 is it says that he formed the man. I want you to picture that. There's an intentionality there. He forms him from the ground. Even his name is, is, is from the ground. Like Adam, is, it's from the ground. He forms him with the dirt, with the dust, and there's an intentionality with this. It's not like an accidental, like, oh, oh, I, I made a man. I meant to make a horse, and there's a dude. No, like, 
There's an intentionality to this. He had spoke everything else into existence, and now he bends down, he grabs some dirt, and he forms the man. He doesn't make man ex nihilo out of nothing, which he did the rest of creation. He makes man by forming him with his hands. There is an intentionality to this design. There's a, there's a purpose to this man that he has made. He has a job for him, and he designs him as such so that he can accomplish that job. You notice he's already made the world. He's made the garden. He's made all of these things, and he knows what man is going to be sent out to do, and he makes him with all of that in mind. So there's an intentionality to this forming of this man. And remember, God called it very good. So our bodies, the way we are made, is very good. The XY chromosome, it's very good. The XX chromosome on the, on the female, we're going to talk about that next week, was a woman. We're going to look at that. Like it, they're, they're both very good. This is not a conversation about competency or about you know, value. This, we, we tried to make it clear last week that God made them male and female, made them both in his image, equal in value, equal in image status before God, and yet distinct. And so the similarities between men and women are, are, are pretty incredible. It, it, in fact, if you just look at it from a DNA standpoint, there is an incredible amount of overlap between what a man is and what a, a woman is. And there's just a small amount of distinction when it comes to the differences between males and females. Uh, and so just, just hear this real quick. Males are 99.9% are .9 the same when compared to other males as far as our DNA are, is made up. And females are, are also 99.9% .9 similar when it comes to other females. And so it's a very small portion of your makeup that makes you distinct, that makes you who you are. And that's not to minimize that. Just saying there is a lot of overlap. When he makes them both in his image, there is a, there's more overlap than there is not. Okay, uh, But males and females are only 98.5% like the same to one another. Okay, so you, you see 99.9, .9, male to male, female to female, but when it goes male to female, there's, there's a, and it doesn't sound like a lot. But when you think about the, the women sitting next to you, other women, there's 0.1% there's like difference in your genetic makeup that makes you who you are compared to her and men the same. But when you think about male to female, there's 1.5% difference. It's, it sounds insignificant, but yet we see the role that DNA plays is so... Uh, it, these powerful differences play themselves out in significant ways. So the genetic difference between men and women is 15 times greater than between two men or two women. Uh, in fact, it's equal to the difference between that of a, of a man and a male chimpanzee. I thought y'all would think that was funny. I guess not. Um, so, like, when, when, you, when you're comparing, like, there, that's the significance of difference, okay? So that much difference, percentage-wise, can make the difference between a chimp and, and a human man, okay? Same, a, a human man and a human woman, okay? Was that an accident? Is, are, is, is God, was that like a, a spillage of the salt as he was make, mixing the recipe? Or was there intentionality with that? We know there, there, are, obvious, there are obvious differences. There are um, genetic differences that play themselves out between men and women. We see that uh, we, we just know that like from a, from a size standpoint, from, a, um, from just how we're made standpoint, there, there are significant differences that men are, I think on average, 15% heavier and just more dense than women. I'm, I've, I've lost my, uh, my notes. I blame my kid. 
<clears throat> but I don't even have to say those stats. Like men are, are made differently. We see it play out in, in just the simple objective study of how diseases are treated. Uh, most recently, the, the effects of COVID uh, on, on men versus women, there's a big discrepancy. Men are far more likely to, to suffer more and to die from, from COVID. We know there's, there's specific heart disease, cardiovascular diseases that men are more likely to get. Women uh, on the other side are more likely to get multiple sclerosis and lupus. And, and, and so there's differences in our bodies that, that play themselves out as medical professionals research these things. It isn't obvious that there are differences. And then there's the more clear, or there's the more uh, controversial issues of, of of biological males competing in women's sports, right? And so again, we, we, the world is looking at these differences and saying, listen, there's, there's, when we just test men and women for physical ability to lift things, do things, run far, there's a, there's a discrepancy, there's a difference. And one, one uh, writer who won a, um, like the Prime Minister Award for Health and Science in Australia called these adverse effects. Looking at these studies going, man, men are, are stronger and faster than women. And, and, and looking at that as a problem. And, and there's a movement in our world to figure out how do we eradicate those differences because that, that equals, that, that's not equality. If, if men are more able to do certain things, then that must mean that there's not equality. And so how do we, you know, eradicate those differences or, or androgyny, if you will, this blurring of these, these lines. And so uh, the world is asking the question, is this a problem to be solved? Or the Christians are saying, is this designed to be celebrated, to be redeemed, to be leaned into? Because here's the deal. When we actually study and put before our children scientific research about the differences in our bodies, it should lead to a greater respect of each gender. When we teach our kids just the objective truth from a scientific standpoint, it should lead our children and our world to respect the differences between male and female instead of trying to eradicate those differences instead of trying to blur them together. Because when God formed us, there was an intentionality to this. He, he knows that he was going to make men with a, with a greater capacity for physical strength and bone density and muscle mass, that, that he was going to give them uh, significantly more testosterone flowing through their body to support the development of muscle mass and, and bone density and those sorts of things. And, and then he has a specific purpose for women, and we're going to talk about next week, that is not less than. It's not secondary. It's not, it's not to be uh, scoffed at. It's not JV humanity but there's an intentionality to that design. So what is that purpose? He made men different with their purpose in mind, with his purpose in mind of what they're gonna do. What is that? So let's go to verse 15. It says, he took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it and to keep it. Okay, this idea of work in the Hebrew packs the same um, implication of, of God, the, the work that God did in, in bringing forth order out of chaos. If you remember from last week when God was making the world, it said everything was dark, everything was voidless, uh, and God began to bring order out of chaos. He began to cultivate, he began to work and to form and, and, and to create. And so, then he, and so he makes the world out of his, this raw 
non-existent material of just chaos. And he brings into existence the galaxies that we know and we love in our world that we sit on that, that is so delicately stationed between here and the sun and in rotation so that we don't die, right? So that we don't cease to exist. It's a very small margin for error. God did all of that out of nothing. But then he creates this world and it's, and it's full of trees and plants and, and, and lakes and rivers and, and, and all of this beauty of animals. And, and he puts the man in the midst of this garden and he says, okay, here's the raw material blank slate for you. Go and cultivate. Go and create. Go forth and have dominion. Go fill the earth and subdue it. This is the instruction that Adam gets from God. And so when he says, okay, here you go. I want you to work it and I want you to keep it. He's saying, I want you to work. I want you to have a job, Adam. I want you to use your hands. I want you to use what I've given you. I want, there's a physicality to this. He has made them to work. So this idea of, of work is cultivating. It's, it's laboring. It's, it's serving. Ultimately, it's, it's providing. God had, didn't just set Adam up for failure, did he? He didn't just set him up in a blank world and go, hey, I hope you can figure this out. Like I've heard if you plant some stuff, it might grow. No, he sets him into a world of provision, doesn't he? He sets him into a world of beauty and says, go and enjoy. And in fact, the command from, from God to Adam is, is go, like enjoy what I've put before you. There's only one exception to that. So God provides for Adam and then he sits Adam out and says, okay, now you go and begin to cultivate and provide for yourself and for your family. There is in the, the formation of man this innate design for us to work. This doesn't mean that women don't work. This is not about competency of making a living and who's better at it than not. It is saying that at the, at the basis of who we are as men, we should work. We should cultivate. Now, there's a very physical nature to what Adam is called to do here. Some of you are like, ah, I'm not really like a, I'm not a gardener, bro. I'm not like, I'm not a lumberjack. Um, like, that's okay. That's, that's not, again, that's cultural norms, not biblical calling. We want to focus on the biblical calling piece. And it's saying that, men, you should be the ones who are responsible for putting food on your table. You should be the ones who feel the weight of responsibility to make sure that your family has food. And you're like, well, what if my wife just, like, what if I married a sugar mama? And, like, she's way better at making money than I am. Listen, that's okay. Really, it is. But that doesn't give you the excuse to not work and go master some hobby. Okay, yeah, she may earn more money than you. That's fine. It's not what this conversation is about. There's implications to that that could make things challenging that we might need to work through. But just on the surface, that's not the big deal. That's not the issue at hand. The issue is at hand is that, that but man, men, you are called to be the one who is responsible for putting food on your family's table. Okay, and so... Yeah, you may have a wife who is, like, I've, known, I've seen this play out a couple different times where, uh, I, like, actually two different couples where they were both in medical school, and she got in first. She passed her MCAT, whatever those tests are, to get in first. And so they're like, hey, we can't afford for both to go at one time. We're already making a family. And so she goes to medical school. He stays home. And, and, and I've, seen, I've seen it go really badly once. I don't know if they admit that, but from my perspective, it didn't go real well. But, and I've seen it go okay once. And, and, and the time that it went badly is whenever she began to be condescending and she began to cut him down and he began to feel less than and he be, she began to speak to him as though he was less than because she earned the money. She paid the bills. And there was a lot of joking back and forth. 
The time that it went better is when there was a mutual respect. There was a mutual honoring of this process and that it was temporary. And that guy worked. He set out to find other ways to cultivate, to, to bring. He worked in the nonprofit sector. He began to do things that made a difference. He did not sit idly by and just enjoy you know, his wife's cash. He was working. He had a purpose. And notice this, man. Notice this young man. God gives Adam his purpose before, before. He gives Adam his woman. Okay, so pro tip, men. Your purpose is not a woman. And if you try to make her your purpose, she will hate you. Okay, now that may sound counterintuitive. You may think that a woman wants a man who will set his eyes on her only and just give his life to making her happy. And in reality, that will legacy make her gag and feel smothered. L- listen. Men, young, young guys, this is, why, this is why I think it's at the same root issue why all of the attractive women in high school wanted to date the jerk men, the jerk dudes, the bad boys. You're like, why is that? Well, he acted like he didn't need her. There's something appealing to that. Not healthy, but appealing, right? Because a woman is made to come alongside a man who has his purpose, a woman is made to be a, a, a partner toward a greater purpose, not to be the purpose in and of herself. And so Adam is given the role of cultivate and, and you know, make, have dominion over this world before the woman comes along. He has his job. He has his purpose. It has been made clear, and God sends him out with a mandate. And then, as we'll see next week, next week he brings in the woman to, to go with him, because it's not good that he's alone, and y'all can just amen that. We know what happens when men are alone. It's just bad. It smells, and they eat really poorly, and it's just on a, like, and here, and I'm joking about cultural norms. Some of y'all are like, you're awesome at keeping house. Like, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that, I'm, but, so I'm making jokes that probably aren't helpful, but God says it's not good for him to be alone, probably not for the same reasons we think, but because of the image of, of the God whom we're made in. That's why it's not good for him to be alone. Because God is a triune God. So, so yeah, he brings in partnership. So again, we'll get to that next week. But, but just know, right off the bat, we're made to provide. And listen, he made our bodies to sustain a workload. He made our bodies to get out and get after it, to work long hours if needed, to work hard work if needed, to have a toughness about us, to lift heavier things, to build things, to do the work of cultivating and having dominion over the world. He made our bodies as such in a way that it should complement that. Now, there's varying degrees of that. There's varying degrees of men with muscle mass and height and all of those things. I'm not trying to say, like, again, we're getting into cultural norms, but at the very root of who we are, men, no matter what your size and stature gives way, like there's some of y'all like, you, just can't, you could handle some lumberjacking, right? Others of you are like, ah, I'd rather not. Like, but some of you dudes can like build out a website. You could build out some marketing stuff. You can cultivate in a way that will have mass impact around the world that should not be minimized. And others of you are just faithfully serving in a job. Listen, like we've talked about this in work. We've talked about how as we work, we're worshiping God. As we work, no matter what our work is, as we're cleaning toilets, making shoes, um, <clears throat> working a cash register, that that is bringing order and provision to God's world. And men should take pride in that. So regardless of, of what that looks like, we should have a desire and innate responsibility and a sense of this is my job to provide. This is my role to provide. In fact, I think it was the Moody commentary that said 
that this idea of, of working and a keeping, it could actually be translated to worship and obey. And so as we work, as we go about our role and fulfill our purpose and come alongside God in creating and cultivating, we are actually worshiping God. We're bringing glory to his name, okay? So, so to work and to keep it. And then the, sec, uh, the second part is to keep it. That idea, that, that, that Hebrew word there for keep it is to watch over, to take care of, or to protect, okay? So God has given him something good. He's given them this beautiful garden. And he says, okay, now work it and, and keep it. Now, what does that mean to keep it? There's, there is. There, there, we begin to see, okay, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to fight for it. You're going to have to stand and, and protect it. You're going to have to, uh, there, there, there will be, like, it's almost like God knows what's coming in chapter 3, that there will be an enemy who comes to, to assault what he has made that is good. And he says, Adam, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to keep this. I've made something good, but it will not stand in a vacuum. It will be attacked. It will be accosted. And you will be put in the place to protect it, Adam. And, and I'm going to give you some prized treasures and a woman. And you, you are going to be called to protect it, to stand in. And so just like we have this sense of we, we should be the ones who provide. We should be the ones who, who are, are working to make sure our family has what it needs. We should also be the ones who have a sense of standing in the midst of danger. If someone shows up at your house, men, trying to bring harm to your family, you should meet them in the doorway. You should be the one that stands there. You should be the one that goes and checks on the bump in the night, right? Like you don't, like, and we kind of know this is true, don't we? Like culturally, we celebrate this when men do this, don't we? Let's, y'all remember Bridger? Little six-year-old Bridger? Bridger Walker, y'all remember this dude? Yeah, a couple years ago. Little Bridger, six-year-old dude, walking with his little sister, neighbor's dog got out, started toward them. He shoved her to the side, put himself in between him and her, and got his face tore up. I think 90-something stitches. That's what he said. I don't know if you can read that. It's a little small. He said, I figured if someone had to die, I thought it should be me. Why? Because that little boy's got the DNA of a man in him. And he knows. He knows I've been made to stand in the gap between harm and those who can't protect themselves. Between harm and maybe between those who can protect themselves. John Piper tells the story of, of two young people walking and, and they just met each other. And it's a man and a woman. And they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're flirting. They're, they're enjoying. They're, they're, you know, they're hey, I think I like this. And, and he gets to know, hey, actually, she's got like a black belt in martial arts. And he, okay, noted. And then, and then a little further along, they get, they get accosted by some dude with a knife. What, what's that man to do in that moment? Is, you got this. <laughs> Go ahead, babe. Right? No, like that man steps up and pushes her to the side and says, over my dead body, will you get to her? And listen, that may happen. Right? He might not be a good fighter. <laughs> they might whip him, and then she might whip them. It could happen. But, but you know what? That's still what a man is supposed to be. He's still done manly things when he steps in between danger and those who can't protect themselves. And so, men, yes, we should be the ones who, who stand in the gap between harm, between threats, and those that we are called to love. And, and listen, that fleshes itself out in, in a number of different appropriate relationships. OK? 
Okay, because that's different when it's, when it's me and my wife or me and my daughters than it is when it's me and, you know, a, a woman I work with, me. And, and if I'm here, you know, and, and Rachel is here, like I'm, I'm going to step in between her and danger or Cindy, right, or, or an older woman. It doesn't matter the dynamic. Men should have this sense, this benevolent sense of responsibility to step in between the harm and those that are threatened to be harmed. We, we saw this celebrated back in, I think it was 2008, when a gunman came into the Aurora Theater in Colorado and began to open fire on um, once you, once you, once you move to a different slide, Jess, I think, uh, little, little Bridger's face. If you Google him, uh, man, he looks awesome today. Uh, some, like he got all kinds of national attention. Uh, some, all the Avengers actors like reached out to him. It's pretty cool. But also some top surgeons said, Hey, we got your face, bud. And, and they've, they've done a great job at reconstructing. And, and he even said like, well, I don't want it to go all the way away. Like I, I kind of like the scar a little bit, but, but, but they've taken good care of him. So you can Google Bridger. It's, it's an awesome story. But we saw back then that I think it was three young men that were there with their girlfriends. They have no obligation. They haven't put a ring on that yet, but they're there with their girlfriends. And when that joker opened fire on those people, those innocent people, they threw their girlfriends onto the ground and threw their bodies over them. And I believe all three of them were killed. And two out of three of their girlfriends were injured but saved because their bodies protected them. They threw themselves in between harm and those, those women. And guess what? The world celebrated them, heralded them, just like they did little Bridger, right? Because we know this is supposed to be true. As one, one pastor put it, the boy goes down and the girl goes free. Like we know this in our gut. We see this in our stories. Like we know that this is supposed to be at the root of masculinity is that we will step in and stand firm to protect, okay? And, and there's there's some degree of intentionality. There's a lot of a degree of intentionality of how God has made men. So my little man, uh, I got two of them now. I couldn't make any boys biologically, so our, our little man have come to us through foster care and adoption. Um, and I love being a dad, of, I love being a dad of, of, of girls, but I've always longed to raise men. And, uh, and I love my, my little Logan. He's, he's about to be four in November. And just all the time, out of nowhere, he'll go, Daddy, uh, you protect me? I said, yeah, buddy, I will. I'll do all I can to protect you. He goes, I protect you? I said, no, bud, I got you. I said, but you can help me protect, protect our house. You can help me protect our girls. He says, okay, I protect mommy? Yeah, buddy, you protect mommy. I protect sisters? Yeah, bud, you will. Right? And, and there's just this, this curious, I didn't, I didn't teach him that. He's just, he's just, it's just in him. He's just asking about it. Right? We just see this. There's a difference. My girls didn't fight like those boys do. They're nuts. I want them to just go off the couch the other day. The younger one just figured, he's the same size. There's 15 months difference. It's a cool story, but they're the same size. So he just figured out he could fight back because he's enormous. Um, and so he just got off the couch the other day, walked over to his brother and went, pop, and then just walked away. I'm like, what are you doing? But, and then like, they just wrestled and moved on. Like, and I'm, it's hard for me to this because I find it amazing and I love it. But I'm like, okay, so, but, but here's what we're seeing in our young boys. Here's what we're seeing, this, this innate sense of, of, of physicality. The boys, they're more physical. They're rough. They're crazy. There's all those memes about why men die faster than women, right? Because we're just nuts. We're just, we, don't, like, we don't have the danger sense. We seek that out. And, and, and listen, tr do a little bit of research about who plays violent video games. It's something like less than 25% of girls and over 70% of young boys. They're the ones 
They're spending hours on Call of Duty and other, I know there's more now, I'm, I'm, I'm dated, but those violent video games. So, so he, what is that? Everything my boy sees is a weapon. It's a sword, it's a gun, something. I was singing a song to him the other night at bedtime, some song about what's behind you. What's behind you, Daddy? Is it zombies? I'm like, what, what, what have you learned zombies? Like, we don't watch zombie movies, right? You got to shoot them, right? He's just like, every time he sees a policeman, he's like, oh, you got a gun? You going to shoot bad guys? It's just how he thinks. Now, is he on? Now, some people in our world would say, that's dangerous. That's toxic. You need to shut that down. I would say, no, it's not. It's God's design, and I need to bridle it, train it, make it righteous, make it good, give it a sense of God has put that in him for the good of others. God has made him bigger and stronger, not for his own self-benefit, but for the benefit of others. Because here's the deal. Where masculinity gets toxic is when it gets turned in on itself. Where masculinity is good is whenever it's given for the sake of other people. And that is because it's rooted in the image of God. This is where this all comes back to you. If you have issues with masculinity or your experience of it being displayed and, and in your own life, the, the issue is that we've deviated from how God made us, not because God made us bad. Because God has put that desire in young men to be dangerous. So yeah, if you look at the stats, it's overwhelmingly true that the people who commit violent crimes and who are in prison today are men. But it's also overwhelmingly true that those that have given their life and service on the battlefield are men. Okay? Because there's this sense that that's our job. We will stand in a gap of danger. I'm not trying to start a conversation about women in arms. We, we might talk about that tomorrow on the podcast, but I'm saying there, there is, God has made men to be men for the good of humanity. So, if you've got issues with the way that masculinity has played out in your life, there's good news. Because so does the Bible. So does the Bible. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And what do we do with those issues is not to discard masculinity, but instead to look to the perfect man for redemption, to look to the one who brought redemption. So, Romans is an incredible theological and doctrinal book, but one of the things it's going to zero in on is this idea of the new Adam. Because Adam was given a role to work, to provide, and to protect. And in that comes this idea of headship, which we'll get to more in a few weeks when we talk about family. This leading, this, this loving, this leading and, 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 and being in headship by giving away our strength, right? So, so this is not to be distorted for our own good, but rather to be given away for the sake of other people. And, and this is where we see Adam failed. Because what we did, I didn't read verse 17, or, or Rob read it, but I didn't preach it. Verse 17, it says, hey, don't eat of the tree, right? Adam is given the instruction of what will bring harm before even he's, even he's, Eve is even on the scene. Adam is the one who's given the instruction not to eat of that tree. Adam should have been the one standing between Eve and the serpent and saying, no, no, dude, she's mine. Back up. You talk to me, and here's what God said. That is where he was supposed to keep it, and he didn't keep it. He failed. And his failure has played itself out in the failure of men throughout the generations ever since. 
And so what we see in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5 is that Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. This is, I, I can't unpack all of that, but what he's saying is, listen, sin came into the world because of Adam's failure. And God cares about the way that it's played out. If you've been abandoned, you've been harmed, you've been abused, God cares. He sees, he knows, and he's grieved. And that's why. He didn't sit idly by and say, I hope you figure it out. He got up off his throne and he sent Jesus into our mess. Verse 14, listen to this. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses over those who were sinning. And it was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So he's saying what Adam brought it infected everybody, and we're grieving it. But the gift that Jesus brought, it's different. It's not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespasses, have much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned. Some of you ex have experienced death at the hands of men, death of your heart, death of actual life. You've seen it be harmed much more. So the degree that you've seen pain and harm, much more will be the redemption that Jesus himself brings. Much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So, yeah, you may have issues with the way masculinity has showed itself in your life. You may have issues with your own masculinity and how it plays out. The answer is not to get rid of masculinity. The answer is to turn to the true source of masculinity because God himself has provided and he himself has protected us. And he steps in as the ultimate example of the, of the man who would stand before the one he loved, before his bride and what was coming against her, the, the wrath of sin, the wrath of God against sin. Jesus shoves us out of the way and says, I will stand in your place and I will take the blow that you deserve so that you can go free and I'll receive your death. This is the ultimate display of masculine strength. It's rooted in love and Jesus takes his strength. Listen, Jesus shows up on the scene and I don't know about any of you men. I don't know how much you lift. I don't know what you drive. I don't know how big you are, but I bet you can't tell a storm to stop. I bet you can't tell a dead guy to stop being dead. I bet you can't tell a leper to clear his skin up, can you? Jesus has all the strength in the world. He made this world, and he comes, and instead of flexing on us and crushing us like we so deserved, he steps in in weakness, and his ultimate display of strength is the death on the cross. And in that, he models for us what it means to really be a man. Yeah, you've been given strength. Yeah, you've been given size. But if you've used that for your advantage, you're a freaking coward. You need to repent. Because that's not what true manhood is. True manhood is taking the strengths and the gifts and the calling he's given us and giving it away. You see in Ephesians 5, 
men, husbands are called to love their wives. How? Like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. That's, the, that's true masculinity. We take our strength and we give it away. Even to the point of death, we give it away. That's what it means to be a man. It doesn't matter how strong, big, like that irrelevant. True manhood is found in the selfless giving of, our, of ourselves out of love. And Jesus is the source of that. Jesus is the redemption of that. So here's the deal. This is about, like, the series is focused on gender and sexuality. So, yeah, there's the implication of homosexuality and transgender. Can we move from, you know, being a female to being a male? All, uh, that's the questions that we're, we, we can't answer them all. So what we said is we're going to go back to the source and what is good. And, and here's what I would say. And when we have distortions of what it, when we have struggles that don't line up with what God has called us to be as men, when we have struggles within us that don't seem to match the way that he's made us, or the way that he's made us doesn't seem to match what is you know, called and asked of us, what do we do? We, we bring that under Jesus's grace in repentance and seek to be restored to the way he meant for us to be. So let, let me, let's, let's, let's look at it this way. When men are lazy, what do we do? Do we call them to instead become women? Do we call them instead to just you know, like move into a place where they, you know, I don't really want to work. That's what's really true about my, my, my inner being. Like, it's so I'm just going to do that. No, no, no. We call them to repent of their laziness and to be transformed back into the image of what they were made, which is a worker, a go-getter, a hustler. I'm going to make sure my people are provided for. I'm going to make sure this world is getting glory from God because of how he's made me to work. So listen, same is true if you're abusive or whatever. We, we bring that under the grace of Jesus. Same is true when we have sexual desires and, and things that are not aligned with God, how God has made us as male and female. We bring that under. We bring that under the good design of Jesus. We ask for him to heal us, move us toward wholeness, and we live a life of repentance. We live a life of being made new by him. That's the good gift of the gospel. Verse 17 of Romans 5. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's what he's offering us. Redemption. And I don't pretend that that's going to be easy. One of the things I said is we don't want to make light of people who are struggling with gender and sexuality who don't feel at home in their own body. That's a, that's a real struggle that should be treated with empathy and compassion and as much professionalism as we can, but is also with as much gospel hope as we can. We don't want to just treat that clinically. We want to lean in and say, brother, like Jesus has come near so that your struggle could be seen. And he sees your struggle. He knows your pain. He knows the tears you've shed better than anybody else. And he says, come to me. Let me heal you. You, I see you. I know you. I know your deep desires. I know your deep longings. And I see you and I've come that you may have life. And all those questions of what that looks like, I, man, we can't unpack them all. But I do know that the offer is goodness from Jesus himself. How much more will the gift that, our, that the second Adam, the true Adam, his impact will far outreach the impact of our first Adam, our first father who passed down to, for, to us a cowardice and a distortion of masculinity? Jesus come and shows the true picture of masculinity and passes down for us a picture of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Taking your strength 
giving it away for others, finding your purpose and bringing glory to him, fighting when necessary, showing up, giving of yourself. You do those things, and all of a sudden, the leadership piece, the headship piece, looks totally different. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, but now that's not about serve me, do what I need. No, that's giving of ourselves. That's a different story. So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite you to respond however the Lord is, is, is leading you this morning. We said it earlier, you don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend to be doing better than you are. You don't have to pretend that you're not struggling when you are. You don't have to pretend that your problems are bigger than what he can solve. You don't have to pretend to have all the answers. He looks at you. He sees you. He sees your struggle. He sees your pain. He sees your fear. He sees your story. And he says, come to me. I'll give you rest. You're not going to find it in that or in that or in that. I'll give you rest. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending the man to come and redeem fallen men. And I pray today that the hope of the gospel would be applied so lavishly and generously across this room that boys would become men, that men who have been cowards would become redeemed men, that men who have been struggling would find a hope that you, Jesus, would come and have your way through your spirit and overwhelm us in your presence today with hope and goodness. So, Spirit, we invite you in. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So.